Hey, everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Studios and brought to you by our official sponsor, the Mike Wagner Show, International Warring Author, Mia Molson's The Missing, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. We're here with a terrific gentleman who is the son of a beloved actor, comedian who appeared on the Carol Burnett Show, a number of uh, Mel Brooks movies, and also a uh, voice of Flintstones and many other wonderful projects. And once you hear the name, you'll find out why. He's a, He's been in business for 20 years and uh, experienced in entertainment industry, working with a number of um, artists brand building and also re and uh re representation and more and uh, he's also uh graduated from leslie college and uh, cambridge massachusetts in theater history he later you know took up uh management in uh colorado mountain college he's worked with uh solar films in 21 as a consultant and co-executive producer on euphoric tendencies we'll talk more about that he's also a talent scout media consultant with um sherry throne productions and he has a new book out which is a loving memoir about his famous father we'll tell you who it is in just one minute live ladies and gentlemen at plus studios in beautiful downtown los angeles well in the case whatever stays in vegas Says in Vegas, but this time we're going to have to flip the script here. <laughs> we have the son of a beloved actor and um, from the Carol Burnett show, Mel Brooks movies like um, History of the World, Blazing Saddles, and more. And if you mention the name, you're going to really love this guy. The son of Harvey Corman, the multi-talented Chris Corman. Chris, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike, for having me on. I'm glad that Clinton and April told me all about your show. And I, I, it's funny that I knew who, I kind of knew who you were before they told me about you because I had heard your show and they said, oh, do you, have you done Mike Wagner's show? I'm like, oh my God, really? And I see <laughs> your profile already up. I'm, think, I'm thinking of all the radio shows that I have reached out to, you're, you're, the, you're the one that I had not reached out to and I don't know why, I should have. But uh, sometimes you can connect with people on on LinkedIn, sometimes you can't. It depends on like if you're in the premiere section or, you know. So, yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't get a chance to reach out to you, but April, April, and uh, April and Clinton, so you should reach out to Mike. Mike, I'm going to. So mm -hmm. I, I appreciate you responding the way you did as quickly as you did. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're certainly glad you did. April and Clinton are very wonderful people. She's a great uh, ventriloquist and, um, you know, caught her shows and everything like that. And, of course, um, you know, she's been on TV and uh, YouTube and everything like that. And um, I'm trying to get out to Vegas to uh, catch her act and all that. And, um, you know, maybe if you send me, somebody sent me some Raiders tickets on the 50-yard line, <laughs> or maybe um, Santa Rice uh, for the Golden Knights or maybe, um, you know, whoever's playing baseball, basketball, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And, of course, um, you know, I've been a fan of the Carol Burnett Show for quite some time. And I love Harvey Corman, Tim Conway, and the crew. It's like that was our thing we love watching on CBS uh, during the heyday. And um, big Mel Brooks fan, History of the World, silent movie, and um, nope. uh, High Anxiety. Yeah, High Anxiety. Yes, yes. This is the World Part 1 and Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh, yeah, that was another one. That was a good that one. That was the and, last one. Uh-huh, and also, too, that I also love Spaceballs. That was one of my favorites, so, yeah. Uh, my dad wasn't in that one, but... Oh, darn it, you know something? There was something missing about that movie. Now I know why. Maybe we have, like, you know, he, he can probably say, use the Schwartz or something like that, so... <laughs> May the Schwartz be with you. Yes, and also with you. And of course, you know, um, you know, we you also have your book called OMG, it's Harvey Corman's son. We'll talk more about that. And of course, you're a son of beloved actor, comedian Harvey Corman, and uh Carol Burnett show, Mel Brooks, and more. And you've been in business for 
20 years, believe it or not, uh, entertainment industry, working with a number of um, artists, branding, representation, and um, you also graduated from Leslie College and um, also Colorado Mountain College. You worked with Solar Films in 21. You're also working with uh, Euphoric Tendencies, and uh, your new book is a very loving memoir about your amazing father. It's not just about him and Carol Burnett or in Mel Brooks, you know, being a father, a golfer, loves to eat with Tommy Lasorda, and most importantly, come up in baseball season, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And before getting all that about the book, uh, Chris, tell us how you first got started. Well, here's the thing about when you are um, the son of a famous person, you have the resources that you, I have bestowed upon me. I feel, I'm I, I an obligation, maybe it is, to use those resources to help artists that don't benefit from my name. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. Mm -hmm. I'm saying I was privileged to be a son, honored to be a son. So why not use his resources to help artists? Because you know, a lot of PR people, they charge an arm and a leg. Well, my attitude was this. If you, let's say you have a one man show going on in Chicago. Mm -hmm. You don't if you you don't need me in September if the show's not going off until May, why are right. you gonna pay me to promote your show when you're not show's not gonna it's not gonna start until May? Mm -hmm. But you need me when you need me. So my whole attitude is when, when people hire me or ask me for my services, I'll say, Look, you got a movie coming out. You need me for this block of time. You need this you need this block of time for me for this. Why are you gonna pay me if if you don't need me? That's stupid. Mm -hmm. so I tell people if I charge you per week, that's all I that's all I need is money for per week. Mm. That's all they need for me from from for me for that week. Well, so I tell people, look, the point isn't for them to go broke, and I'm not about to exploit their career aspirations for selfish gain because I wouldn't want to shame my father because he used his name to help people when he was alive. What? The better thing for me to do is to take his name to help people that he's gone. How can I honor him? So if I can do that in that way. And so I just started reaching on Mike on, on Facebook and LinkedIn. So look, I'm performing. This is who I am. Can I use my connections in media and press to help elevate your brand? And, you know, I'm very transparent about it because a lot of people, you know, have their head and everybody's pocket these days oh and my gosh look, yeah if you can if you know it's like there's a difference between being magnanimous and being exploitive i'm happy to help if i can yes i'm married and i have a child if i could provide for my family that's frosting on the top of the cake mm -hmm. but I go, I go into it saying look if i can help you one phone call is not going to cost me anything mike one email is not going to cost me anything so why not do it i'm still having to promote my book so my two or three phone calls that I need to promote my book, then I say, hey, can you help Mike Wagner? Can you help April? Can you help Quentin? Why not do that? And so I have a lot of people on Facebook, a lot of actors and actresses who I access because they either knew who my father was, they knew who he was, they have a book out, they have something going. I say, hey, let's just contact me. If I can help, I will. And that's kind of how I got started. And that's how I, 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 I work now is I work from a, a need, on a need, a need um, platform. 
Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. so basically, so basically you're just working with alternative platforms. Like, you know, and so your traditional route, you go, it's like, you go alternative platforms where, you know, people have never gone before and uh, people right. are looking, you know, just for one break and everything else. And um, you got all that. And what was that one precise moment that simply influenced you into what you're doing for the rest of your career? Um, well, I think this is, this is really kind of strange. I'll tell you the one of the things that made me just thought this was a doable thing was I was talking to Joanne Gleason, Joanne Gleason, who was into the woods on Broadway. Her father mm -hmm. is Monty Hall. And I'm talking to her on Facebook. And I mentioned to her that she was on Hello Larry with McLean Stevenson, who was one of my dad's dearest friends. McLean so I, Stevenson, I remember him. Uh huh. Right. So I said to Ms. Gleason, I said, I'm Chris Corman, I'm Harvey Corman's son. Oh my God, you know, our fathers knew each other, blah, blah, blah. I see that you're at um, Feinstein's in New York. This is pre COVID. And I said, can I? Can I use my platform? Not that you need my name because you're a Broadway Tony winner, but I feel like to engage somebody of your caliber is a is an honor of mine. And she said, Chris, it's very kind of you. You don't want to offer your connections. Well, I mean, that's very sweet of you, but you don't really know me. It's like, well, we all kind of know each other in this business. Your father was a friend of my father's, and you know, and and so if I can follow some of the connections that I have, because I, I have a book out. And she's like, oh my God, you have a book out? I'm like, yeah. So I told her about the book. And then I started telling her about all these podcasts that I've been on and said, can I follow you to these podcast people? And it just became where now I correspond with her, Mike, on, on Facebook. And she says, can you please call me Joanne? I'm like, I can't call you Joanne Gleason. I got to call you Miss Gleason. <laughs> You're Joanne Gleason, I'm Chris Corman. And I, I feel like I'm not on the same platform as you. It's like, because you're very modest, but your father is an icon in this business. I see, but yeah, he is, I'm not. Now I respect I respect you enough, Ms. Gleason, to call you Ms. Gleason. Because how long have we been corresponding for? I said, probably four years. Please call me Joanne. I'm like, I can't, I can't grasp that I'm talking to Joanne Gleason. Mm -hmm. And because I, I, I respect the boundary lines that these are performers, but these also people are human beings and they have lives outside of what they do. Mm -hmm. And I respect that because I know what that's like. Mm -hmm. so I was very humble and gracious and say, look, you probably don't need my help, but if I can help and I can use my connections. And, but I'll tell you, here's what's odd about this business. Like you would think a lot of performers can sell, promote. A lot of them can't. They right. Or, or, or just like that. They fear the wrong way, say the wrong thing and everything like right. that. And they think, you know, um, you can have all this money like Taylor Swift. You know, that's a big thing where it's like she thinks she can do it herself. But it's like, you know, her mom and dad, you know, make millions and everything like that. And, um, you know, it, it's also gotten, you know, and it's kind of like mixed reviews and everything. And then you've got um, people out there or even like go back to Bill Murray, who promotes himself and Jay Leno. You know, it's just like, you know, hey, you want me on your show? Let me do something for you. I'm just a phone call away. Right. But it almost, I think a lot of performers have said this to me, Mike, and it sounds funny coming from the performers. If they do it, it sounds like self-promotion. If they have a publicist do it, then it seems, it seems like it's filtered through a little bit more humility that mm -hmm. I, if I have somebody else promote me, I'm like, but you know what? If you can't promote you, how do you expect somebody else to do it though? If right, you don't um... believe in your brand, how do you expect another performer to believe in your brand? 
I mean, and that's another thing that I, I learned from my father was you're in a certain slot in this business, whether you're Carol Burnett or Larry Hagman or whoever, or John Ritter, and you have, you're in a certain slot in this business. How do you make that, how do you create a niche for yourself compared to everybody else? How do you make yourself peerless? Is that you have to give what I, I call it um, a marketing theory or credo is you don't give the audience what they want. You give them what they can't live without. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the undefinable X factor that makes somebody a star, that makes somebody a brand, an entity. Uh, and I, I tell this to performers all the time on Facebook, even ones that are really big. If you can't pitch yourself, if you can't articulate the essence of what you have to offer, how do you expect your agent to do it? How do you expect your publicist to do it? Mm -hmm. But see, but in their mind is, oh, it's self, it sounds like it's self-promotion. It, of course it is. You're a product. You're an entity. You're like Volvo. You're like Rolls-Royce. You're an entity. You're a brand. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to articulate that on social media, on radio, or on TV. Yes, it's okay to have a publicist. It's okay to have an agent or a manager. Okay, but if you're asking to do it, but you don't believe in your own brand, what, what, you're, you're sending a mixed message. Mm -hmm. You're saying you want your agent to collect his 10% or 10% of what? Mm -hmm. Right. What, I, is I, sending, what is he sending you out on? If, you, if, if the agent's not sending you on anything, it's because he doesn't believe that you can play that role. It's because you have not articulated you want that role. Then what is he collecting? 10% of nothing. Mm hmm so, I, yeah. And, and of course, there's a lot of people out there that are gun shy about it. And of course, with uh, yeah. some of the social influencers, they, they grew up where it's just like they don't know how to interact with people. It's like, you know, the best way interacting, the interactive phones, Instagram, right. TikTok and everything. And they right. can make, you know, silly videos and all that. But face to face, that's where they fall flat. They do. And, I, and you think they would be good at it. But, you know, a lot of performers, if you look at the Tonight Show, there are a lot of performers that never went on the Tonight Show because... They didn't want to break that fourth wall, that perception of if I start talking to Carson and I come off like an idiot, that ruins my brand on screen. So a lot of performers would never go on the Tonight Show because they didn't want to hurt them, their career. Because some people are not, I mean, it's funny to say this, but Carson, when the red light was on, he was there, he was present. The red light would go off, he would smoke a cigarette, he wouldn't talk to the guests, he would turn off. And a lot of performers only they save their magic. They save the magic for when the red light goes off. And then they, mm -hmm. they go back into their shell and then they come back out when it's magic time. Well, because so many people want a piece of you that you have to save some of your soul to just survive this business. So, you, you know, if an actor comes off standoffish, it's probably because they're very insecure too. And you wouldn't think that, but a lot of performers are insecure. Johnny Carson was very shy. Then people wouldn't think that. Mm -hmm. But so, um, so so yeah. So I figured I figured with my resources, if I can help writers, directors, performers in Chicago and New York or LA, whatever, mm -hmm. um, I figured that is the best way to honor my father, and I do it because I love it.
Mm-hmm. You do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. <laughs> I, I think so. we're all taking on Geico as well, too. I wish we're all lizards at this one point. You love what you do, you have to work a day in your life, or just don't call it work. So we have that. Right. Exactly. And, um, and, and of course, you also you also alluded to the fact, too, that, um, you, you know, people have a tough time separating, you know, from the person uh, who you are on screen, TV, radio, oh. commercials and everything. But your dad did it really well, you know, be, you know being a father, going to parent teacher conferences or taking you golfing or even going out for ice cream, going out to McDonald's or ha- having a hot dog or um, eating with um Tommy Lasorda or going to a Dodgers baseball game. It's like, you know, he has that human side where it's like, you know, I can be funny. I can make people laugh. I enjoy being with Carol Burnett, Tim Conway, and, and you know, just enjoy Mel Brooks company and um, just <laughs> everything well, like that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I can be uh, a father just like everybody else, go out to eat like everybody else and um, and say, um, go Dodgers or you stink and all that, like, um, every other family. Right. Well, it's funny you mentioned about the parent-child conferences. Because for those who read the book, won't read that I grew up with a learning disability and um, a learning challenge, which is the clinical diagnosis that I have a delay in the learning process. I learn a little bit slower than others. And if you went to a parent-child conference, let me tell you, I've never seen so many teachers scared out of their you-know-what. Because my father was deadpan. He was, I'm a father today. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a performer. I'm, I'm an a- advocate for my son's well-being. Mm-hmm. And my father knew more about the American Disabilities Right than the teachers on the other side of that table. And one of the things he taught me early on, it's the same thing about the action thing. If you can't, if you can't articulate the essence of what you need as a student in college, high school, whatever, how can you expect someone to advocate for you if you don't believe in who you are? If you can't articulate your strengths and your weaknesses are, how can you expect me to? Mm-hmm. So, right. If he's on the other side of the table with the teacher, if he's saying, well, Chris needs more help with this or more, uh, those teachers were like, oh, okay, they got it really quickly. This wasn't Mr. Funny Haha guy. This was serious father time. Mm-hmm. And he laid the groundwork for me, Mike, to say, look, if you, you have to be your own self advocate. And with the level of veracity that he would protect me, I had to get to a point where like, or I had to match that level of commitment eventually because someday who was going to do it for me? He couldn't, he was going to die. Right. Who was going to do it? I had to do it, but he had to show me how to do it the right way in a respectful way. You can be right without making someone wrong. You can say, this is my learning skill. This is how I learn. These are the tools I need to learn. Can you please help me? If you come from that position, then it's not it's not it's not me against you. It's hey, these are the, these are the tools I need. I need the school to provide that for me. And so I had a golf tournament for 22 years with children with learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. Process school, which is mentioned in the book. So we're at Stouffer's Esmeralda in Palm Springs, and we're in this dining room. Who's in the room? Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale and Vince Scully are in the same room. Now you I don't my, like that. Oh my God. Like you think my dad was the kid in a candy store. <laughs> so Sandy is describing his 1965 no hitter versus the Cubs. And people were, ga- I mean, he had them regaling. They had, I mean, my dad was salivating to listen to this. And everybody wants to talk about blazing salads and care of invention. It's like, I don't care about any about that. He wanted Sandy to tell the whole story. And we're sitting there talking to Drysdale and, and, 
and it was just my dad was like a big kid and i'm sitting here I'm like who else would have the opportunity to talk to vin scully sandy koufax and don Dresdell in one night and have them come up to you and say it's really nice to meet you chris thank you for inviting me to your golf tournament i'm like you know who i am you're talking to me yeah. you're god <laughs> i'm just this kid the son of harvey Corman. what do i know um but see that's that's the miraculous thing. I got to meet Joe Williams, the great black singer who, who performed with Count Basie in Hawaii. Oh my goodness. Yes. I, I, I would love never him. in my wildest dreams would think I could engage people of this caliber on my own. But for them to say, oh my God, your father's Harvey Corman, and they become a fan of their fan of your father. So I'm like, maybe you know who my father is? <laughs> so it, it, it is a generational thing. I'm 56 years old. I grew up with John Ritter. I grew up with Billy Crystal. Television was in the 80s was different. The 70s was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can honestly say this, and I say that if, 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 I, I better say it now because I'm probably going to forget saying it at the end. I can honestly say this, Mike. If, even if my father had not been my father, he still would have been my favorite performer. Oh, yes, yes. Because I don't think um the only person that makes me think of my dad nowadays there's two victor garber who did damn yankees and david hyde pierce from fraser mm-hmm. my dad and david both studied with the same acting teacher uda hagen and i always thought david hyde pierce was the harvey corman of fraser because he made everybody else around him better even though carol was a star and kelsey was a star i always felt like david because of his mind interpretation, always made everything funnier. I felt like the writers looked to, to David's strength, and it made the whole show funnier. I always felt like the writers on the Burnett show made the show great because my dad made Carol funnier, made everybody funnier because of his classical training. Because without going on going off on a tangent, my dad went to Goodman's Theater. He studied with Uta Hagen. And he was he was cla- he was trained as a classical actor. His idol was Lawrence Olivier, and huh. um, we got we actually got to meet his idol once. Um, and that's another story for another for a therapy session. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was going to say I, I have a really good uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier um, you know story. I was reading about the book uh, Tell It to the King, uh, L- Larry King's. It's like back in the seventies, and um, Sir Lawrence Olivier was in queue, and then when they had a break. He turns one of the guys and goes, what a you good English beer. <laughs> and it just made everybody laugh. <laughs> he was very, 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 very dry sense of humor for what my dad told me. Now, the story goes, Lawrence Olivier is an audience of the Burnett show. I don't think CBS knew it. I don't think they knew that he was showing up. So there's a buzz all over CBS that Lawrence Olivier is in the building. He comes to the taping of the Burnett show. And this is the one night my dad should have stayed at home. This is one sketch that I'm sure my dad likes to forget. There's a old man sketch with him at a uh, butcher shop and my dad's pants are supposed to pull off and he's supposed to have little hearts and flowers on his pants. Instead, in between sketches, in in between shows, my father did not change his underwear. So when he pulled his pants off, his, uh, his own underwear was on and he flashed Lawrence Olivier. So after the show, my they had 
they said, Harvey, you won't believe who's in the audience, like Lawrence Olivier. My dad said, oh, God. They had to peel my father off the carpet, I'm sure. He's, no, no, I don't want to meet him. Not after that. No way. <laughs> and Lawrence Olivier came backstage and said, Harvey, I've been watching you for years. I have a big fan of yours. My father could not grasp that. His idol knew who he was. It blew my father away, which goes to my, which goes to my issue of, we think or we assume that everybody in this business can do what everybody else does. That's a fallacy. Mm-hmm. We assume that Mac actors can do sketch comedy and vice versa. Now, my dad could do both because he was trained to do both. Because he was trained to approach comedy, even if it was farce or satire. He always approached it as an actor doing comedy, not a comedian. Mm-hmm. He always played the truth. And one of the things I try to do, I convey if I do actors mentoring groups is don't play this, don't play the absurdity, play the truth of the moment for yourself. Because my dad said, when they, the way they wrote on the Bernetia was you had conflict, you had resolution, you had plot, but you had to have character. If you play the truth of the absurdity, it's funnier. But if you're going to indicate or make faces or mug to the camera, okay, I'm, I'm doing the punchline now, or we get ready, you're diluting the moment. You're taking away from the power of the moment. And that's one of the things I learned from my father was, is you always play the truth of the moment. So that's something that he learned at Goodman Theater. He studied with Uda Hagen. So I, one of the things I'm trying to do with, within my book and, um, and trying to create a mentorship opportunities online with theater programs, and I'm going to certainly explore Chicago, Milwaukee, is to, to impart that my father didn't become famous because he became famous. He, you know, fame is a byproduct of, make, of being so peerless in what you do that you're the measuring stick for everybody else in what in that world. Mm-hmm. My dad was known, and he, he'll, he'll begrudge this. He hated he hated the term Mike. He didn't like the term, but he was known for it. He was one of the best sketch comedians in the business. Or you can say Sid Caesar, you can say Carl Reiner, you can say all of them. I think my dad was one of the best. And I'm biased, but you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, rightfully so. You've been around him for a long time and right. uh, everything else you know all better too. And um, there was another one I was going to mention, Keter Marshall from the Hollywood Scurs. Yes. I remember that, yes. He wrote the foreword to my book along with Carol. And uh, I've known Peter my whole life. He and his wife, Lori Marshall, are still dear to me. And uh, Peter was the type of person that, see, most people don't know this. Peter started off as a singer. And his real name is Ralph LaPierre Lecoq. Ralph LaPierre. Ralph Pierre Lacock. Okay, that name sounds familiar because his son played for the Cubs, yeah, Pete Lacock. One of my favorite right. players back in the day, Pete really? Lacock. I loved him. Yes, yes. yes. So, um, Peter has one of the great voices. Now, here's here's one of those stories that you you go. We're, we're there's a leap here. Uh, eighty one or eighty two. My dad was asked to um, tour in Lacaja Falls. And my dad was about to have his third child. Mm. And he couldn't really commit to a national tour. When you're, when you're about to have a child, you can't do that. So the producer said, well, who would, who would have a great voice? I said, well, my dad said, I have a great voice, but I don't have a better voice than Peter Marshall. You should ask Peter Marshall to do this. 
because he's got a much better voice. And second of all, I'm tired of doing shows where the, the center idea of the show is cross-dressing. I've had it up to here with the cross-dressing. I don't blame him. Uh-huh. So I'm at Peter and Lori's house in LA. And I mentioned that my dad had passed on Lakasha Fall. And Lori said, thank God, because that's how Peter and I met. Because how do you like that? Paul. So we're talking, and I and and Lori and Peter said, "Oh, we're going to go over to uh, see Artie Johnson and his well Trusella." Mm-hmm. I said, "Lori and Peter, you know this that Artie is a distant relative on my dad's side of the family." How do you like that? So, and Lori's like, "Peter's like, how do we not know that?" I'm like, "I didn't know you didn't know that. I just assumed you knew that." Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's unfortunate I already died a couple of years ago of a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But, um, yeah, Peter Marshall holds a place in my heart that's very, very dear, as does Ken Berry, Sean Ritter, and Betty White. Um, because it, it was who they were as people beyond who they were as performers. Here you have this little kid with buck teeth and red hair. They didn't have to give you the time of day if they didn't want to. If they 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 were any way exposed to me because of who my father was, they mm-hmm. gave me the respect to treat me with the respect. But I'm I'm, and this is this, this is not a story for me to say how great I am. This was to show who great they were. I'm in Hollywood Squares, and they would do five shows a day. They would do two shows and then a dinner break. And I'm here. I don't have my teeth, red hair. And Jack Klugman starts talking to me. Like, Why did Jack Klugman talk to me? I'm, I'm nobody to him. He doesn't know who I am, unless he knew that I was Harvey's son. And Jack said, how's school, Chris? How, he starts talking to me like I'm, I'm just an, I'm a friend of his. How you doing, Chris? How's school? I, what, you know. And I'm thinking, uh, Jack Klugman's talking to me. <laughs> and I became, a couple of years later ago, I became friends with his son, Adam Klugman, on YouTube. And I told Adam the story about how your dad was a mensch of a human being to me. He didn't have to be. He always treated every time he saw me, he always gave me a hug. Nice. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? And I'm like, and Adam said, I've never heard the story, Chris. I said, thank you for sharing that because it means a lot to me that my father treated you with respect with all the struggles you've had, that my dad took time to treat you as a human being. And that was that mattered more to Adam. And that's what mattered to me is that Adam cared more about how I interpreted his father then, oh, he was just making me laugh the whole day. It was that he freed him like a human being. He made me feel that I was equal to him. Mm-hmm. And Adam said, I can't believe I've, I've never heard this story before. That well, we never met until now. So I just want to tell you what your father meant to me. And we just started crying. I started crying, but wow. um, because Jack didn't have to be that way with me. And yet he is so there present as a human being and that's what endeared me to jack lemon uh, jack lemon as well i, I, I jack lemon was very dear to me and as his son is chris and i tell chris the whole time every time i saw your dad hey chris how you doing hey come sit with me tell me how, how school's doing but never talk down to me because one way disability they always talked up at me that always gave me a sense of self-worth a sense of oh my disability, they didn't define me by my disability. Mm-hmm. They treat me as a human being, not a poster child for a civil, social cause. And so, 
when you have that kind of life and opportunity to be exposed to that, those are the memories that I cherish. Sitting at a Dodger game with my father, him teaching me about uh, Indian switch, lefty versus righty, eating popcorn, eating potato chips, and telling me and explaining the nuances of the game. That time, Mike, with my father is just is priceless for me. I, I, I cherish it beyond. And from Ben Scully to eulogize my father as a memorial. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. The thing had to be 25 minutes long, at least. And it, 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 helped, it really got through, it helped me get through my day. And I wrote a letter, Bill Plachke, who's a sports writer for the LA Times. I told him about this. And I said, if you could get a note to Mr. Scully on my behalf, just tell him what that eulogy meant to me, how it helped me get through that day. Just please tell him. And he did, and he got to Mr. Scully on my behalf. Because you don't take those moments like that for granted. Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. He didn't have to do that for him. Um, and so to have the greatest baseball announcer in history to eulogize your father is so surreal to me. It is mind boggling. And but then I start thinking that I always saw him as a father. I don't understand, I couldn't understand the whole totality of his career that people like Lawrence Living knew who he was, or Paul Newman who he knew who he was, or his idols knew who he was. He would have he had lunches with Cary Grant three or four times. And Cary says, I'm one of your biggest admirers, Hardy. Cary Grant knew who my father was. He said, and he blew his mind. <laughs> it, 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 really... it seems like he, he should have been the opposite of idolizing him, but I guess, you know, you know, the thought that comes to my mind is like, you know, what is that uh, secret ingredient? What's that special trait that, you know, right. has all the big stars? You know, Mel Brooks, Sir Lawrence Olivier, right. Karen Grant, and um, all the others, you know, just say, hey, I admire you. It's like, what is that one special trait that just, you know, says – Hey, I know you're, or even let's say, even a Bob Hope or Steve Martin or, um, oh gosh, you know, maybe like, uh, huh. I, I think just countless, to be honest with you. Right, there are, and, but it's it's the fact that they're human beings first that makes them, that they're accessible as people. They're not like, oh, look how great I am. Um, my dad says, if you're secure with who you are, you don't have to let everybody know that you're in the room. My dad used to say the difference between an actor and an artist is an artist doesn't have to tell you that they're in the room. Their body of work speaks for itself. True. An actor has to come up to you and say, oh, but did you see my Pepto, Pepto-Bismol commercial? <laughs> like, oh, that like, made me sick to my stomach watching that Pepto-Bismol. Right. <laughs> right. So like, if you have to be told, if you have to tell somebody in the room that you're an actor, then you're not really an actor. Mm-hmm. And to remind people what your vocation in life is, then, like, then you're not doing your vocation in life. And so, um, so yeah, so so much of the book, so much of my life is, you know, we is we through special education and theater and baseball. And because like that, so there has to be a balance. Your life can't be just be one thing. It can't just be about show business. You have to have a life outside of what your vocation is. You have to have, because it makes you more well-rounded, makes you more interesting as a person. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. right. That's exactly it. And of course, you know, we'll talk a little bit more Dodger baseball and uh, you know, ba- baseball seasons coming up, and our love for food. And um, you also took took 
took place in a couple of sports. We'll find out just one minute with the amazing Chris Corman and the book, OMG, It's Harmony Corman's Son. But first, listen to the Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com, powered by SonicWeb Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. It's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention Mike Wagner's show, get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Wagner Show, International Warring author Mia Molsendia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molsendia, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first to go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molsonzia has garnered great reviews. And Eve 11 enjoys by Howard Celebrities, including Joanna Cassidy, Forge Riley, Eminem's. So grab your copy today for Goes Missing by Mia Molsonzia, available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com or 40 podcast platforms. Heard in 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, iHeartRadio, also Anchor FM, Odyssey, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, BitChute, Rumble, YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, follow on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, and more. Tickets with you on any mobile device. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies. Makes great gifts 24-7, 365. Family, friends, your beloved pets, loved ones. Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash me and Melson For great books like Missing, Once and Wrinkles. Also T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash me and Molson Check it out today and support the Mike Wagner Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the Mike Show.com. You hear the amazing, multi talented uh, Chris Corman, the son of beloved actor, comedian Harvey Corman, and the book OMG, it's Harvey Corman's son here on the Mike Wagner Show. And, um, you know, continue on with a bit of the book as well, too. And uh, before we talk about baseball, which is coming up, or if you happen to um, listen to it after the Dodgers kick things off, and um, I mean, you know, all about, um, you, you know, um, you know, baseball, you love golf, there's skiing, and of course, you love food. That's a sport itself. What's your favorite? Um, well, I'll tell you, uh, there's a famous restaurant in LA called Nate and Alice, which is a Jewish delicatessen. And um, anybody, anybody who's there, anybody who shows this, I mean, all the great comedians go down there. Dan Murray would go there. Shecky Green, Shelly Berman was there. All these people would go there. It's a very well known in Beverly Hills. So Jewish fare is usually my favorite. I like Italian, <laughs> but I like knishes. I like bagels and cream cheese and lox and onion and, and knishes and kefilte fish. Cause I, I grew up with that kind of food. Um, I think I, I used to joke and say, people will say, what, what's your name? And I think the majority of my childhood, I think my name was try this. <laughs> Here, try this. Here, try oh, yeah. that. Did you have a right. brother named try that or something? <laughs> so when you, when you see my father play mother Marcus on the Burnett show, that basically was his mother because she, she, she had a love for people. But to my father, love, food was love, baseball was love. That's how you bonded. That's how you connected with him was through love and through food and the love of food and the appreciation for good, great food. So watching a ball game and eating, that was a tradition my father loved. And so food is something that I learned because I also grew up with, uh, People who read the book will see that my stepfather, George Chenzo, 
uh, played Vincent Bugliosi in Helter Skelter. Really? Wow. Yes. And he's the one that hits Michael J. Fox with the car in Back to the Future 1. That's my I like that. So George was Italian. So I had an Italian stepfather that was a gourmet cook. So either it was Italian or Jewish food all the time. So um, but I learned to be around really great food at an early age. So I got spoiled by being around gourmet people who love cooking and who love eating. Uh, so George, my father, I, oh, let's put it this way. I'm not thin from this, from this bottom down. I'm like the Hindenburg with ears. <laughs> um, because you can go to a Dodger game, Mike, and not get a Dodger dog, an ice cream sandwich, potato chips or fries, but the dog, they had the thing called the spicy dog. Which I don't know if they have them anymore. They've redone their menu there at Dodger Stadium. It's been many years since I've been. But they had a Dodger dog, Mike. That was a spicy dog. It, it was an onion roll on a grilled, a grilled hot dog with mustard and relish and onions. And it was the best hot dog. It was like a gourmet hot dog. Best mm. hot dog. Yeah, just like Chicago dogs at Wrigley Field, yeah. Oregon, New York. And, um, you know, there's a story, you know, I share too that I was actually a Dodger game, Dodger Stadium, 1978. It was around July when they played the last place Atlanta Braves. I had one of those Dodger dogs, and, um, you know, it would taste better if they won, but too bad Dale Murphy hit a home run the ninth to, um, to uh, win it for the Braves. But I'll tell you one thing those Dodger dogs were just excellent peanuts, popcorn, and everything else. Yes. Um, so yeah, we, we go, we would go down to the locker room and I got to meet Garvey and say, and Lopes and Valenzuela and Tony would always say, come here, Chris, come here. And he'd always make me sit next to him. Yeah. You want a doctor cap? Get him a doctor cap, get him whatever he wanted. Just, and so I took, I was 14, 15 and I'm taking a picture with him. So I, I, I have it on my wall and I'm looking at it really carefully. Like one day I'm like on the, on the left on the one that my shoulder on this side on his wall there's a picture of my father on his wall how do you, you like that it. and you can see it so my dad and i and talking to the sword in the same picture and so that picture is holds a very special place in my heart but one of the things that my father gave me and uh i would have brought it over i didn't think of it until now is my father dedicated his 1975 golden globe to me just the world's greatest son, love dad. Nice. He dedicated the, his gold love to me. Um, and I, I hope that, that's a very cherished thing for me because my dad didn't have to do that. And I got him on one day and I see his gold glove in my room. with dad, I didn't win this golden glove. You won it. It's like, no, I want you to win because you're a winner to me. And that when your own father says that to you, how do you not feel like a million bucks? Mm -hmm. because one of the things he instilled in me is because you can have you have all the struggles that you have in your world and we all have them we all have shortcomings weaknesses strength whatever the only my credo that i will tell you this and i hope you live by it the only time you fail in life the only time you disappoint me is when you don't try that's I true i've heard fail. that a lot the one time you fail you don't try that is true right. i've heard that a lot so, he said, so if you are using me as a scapegoat for not trying because you think I'm the measuring stick based on what I've achieved and you use it as a crutch, 
you have no one, you have no one else to blame when you underachieve. You only have yourself to blame because I didn't set the bar for you. You set the bar for you. I'm not asking to live to my expectations of what Harvey Corman achieved. I'm saying you have to achieve your greatest strengths and what your value is. And because so much of my life, Mike, it was it would have been very easy. And there are times I, I think there's a level of ambivalence I have being his son. It has its pros. It has its cons. Right. But it was very. It would it have been very easy for me to use that as a crutch and say, "Well, why should I try to achieve my greatest potential? I have a father. I'm never ever going to live up to that." I thought, wait a minute, why would I want to live up to somebody who spent majority of my childhood dressed up in women's clothing? <laughs> I said, I, I, I joke about that. I said, but you know, he, he was a performer because he could be. That was his domain. That was his niche. That wasn't mine. My, if my criteria or my platform is special ed, fine, make the best of that world. If I'm a PR person for an artist, be the best I can be in that world. Mm-hmm. Or if I work, I work in the field of elder care, working with the elderly, make that my domain, make that my niche. But just be the best at it. And so he really, that's my credo he instilled in me in my lifetime is the only time you life you ever fail, Chris, is when you don't try. Mm-hmm. Look, where, look where you are now. You're married, you have a child, because you believe in yourself. You believe in what your value was to other people, to yourself. If you don't believe in you, how do you expect other, others to believe in you? If you want first to unconditionally love yourself, love you, you have to learn how to unconditionally love yourself, flaws and all. So mm-hmm. those are the things he instilled in me without realizing he instilled in them. Like, doing the public speaking and doing the acting, it wasn't to become famous. It was, I had to learn how to be more articulate. I couldn't use my LD or the speech in time as an excuse not to advocate for myself. I had to find my own way of articulating what I needed in order to provide for myself. And if I came off a little unorthodox, fine. But people had to hear the passion to which I defended myself and hear the veracity to which I defend myself and advocate for myself. And my dad said, people are going to hear that more than how it's presented. They're going to hear, they're going to hear the passion to which you advocate yourself. And mm-hmm. so that was something that um, also, you know, with, with the with theater arts thing, was, said LD is so much about retention of information. You say, all right, you get a script on Monday, Chris. Don't take the whole thing in its totality. Take 10 pages at a time. Because he didn't have a photographic memory, Mike. Let me tell you, he get a page. He get twenty pages on Monday, from the Burnett show. By the time Wednesday came along, it was a twenty new pages. So between Monday and Friday, the script it was like thirty-one flavors of scripts. It oh, I slow. bet. Yeah, they keep changing, changing, right. changing, changing. Right. And, uh, it's like you never know what you get. You could get your favorite flavor of month, or get right. like say pistachio, yeah, like that. Right, but people don't realize this. The Price is Right occupied stage 33 at CBS from Monday to Thursday. The Brunetto didn't get into stage 33 until Thursday. So they did a dry run, they did blocking, they did whatever, they did, they did the commercials, they did a lot of free recordings, but they didn't get into stage 33 until Thursday. So they had Thursday and Friday to get the show off. So you had to learn your lines fast. You had, they had cuts and, and my dad did not have a good 
memory for memorizing, but he had to find a way to learn how to take certain chunks of every script of every day and memorize it. And because he did summer stock, he learned how to find where the jokes are. He had to get into a rhythm, what they call muscle memory. Mm-hmm. So those are the type of things that he imparted with me was if you have a, if you don't have a good memory, do some of the lines on a tape recorder so you can hear it play back. Oh, Find wow. ways of exercises of things that you could do to help yourself memorize things. But the number one thing he taught me was if you love what you do, it's not a chore. So I love doing theater. It was fun for me. Now, the one time I had wished he'd not come to a school play. We're doing a Saturday Night Live sketch, and and this is this is talking about politically incorrectness, and I'm not advocating that you go off and do stupid things like this. Mm-hmm. I did because I I don't know better, or I'm a 17 year old kid in high school, and I thought this would just be funny. I wrote a sketch about a Christmas a Christmas tree lot, and one of the Christmas trees was a little, let's say, gay. Uh huh. And. Or, 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 or a swell, you know that. Right, or, or fay, or... Or super, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, super, whatever. And I'm thinking, oh, God. Uh, uh, so one of the nights my dad chooses not to come, this is the night I didn't want him to come because I didn't think, I don't know what he was going to do. Who does he bring with him? One of my favorite people of all time, Dick Van Patten. Oh, my goodness. Eight is enough. Oh, my yeah, goodness. So I, I, I'm on the left side of the stage, and where does my dad sit with Dick Van Patten? He sits on the left side of the stage, and I'm looking down, and I see Dick Van Patten and my father, and I'm doing this gay Christmas tree lot. I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to live this down. And because people say, oh God, Harvey's son's playing a gay character. Why is that not shocking? Because Harvey cross-dresses on television. Who else would play a gay character but his son? I'm like, Oh, crying out loud. I'm never going to live this down. <laughs> and Dick what? and my dad were laughing up a storm. And <laughs> afterwards, he said, Chris, you got all the big laughs in every place because you knew how long to hold for a laugh. Mm-hmm. I, said, I can't teach that. I mean, you can't. And I said, you did teach me that. Every laugh you've ever had lasts seven and a half seconds long. He said, how do you know that? Because I would time it. I said, you time my laughs? You don't have anything else better to do? How about homework? How do I take out the garbage? You have time to, to time my laughs? Because I, I studied him. And I, I got to the point where I, I now tell people on Facebook, it, it sounds strange to say this, but I call him, I call him a subtextualist because he subtext all his material, he always filtered it through this brain of his that everything was played as an actor, don't play as a comedian. Always right, play uh-huh. as a So everything he did, whether it's high anxiety or blazing saddles, whether it was broad or satire or sketch comedy, always play the truth. And he learned that from Lucy, he learned that from Jack Benny. And you know, the first time he did Jack Benny, Jack said, oh, Harvey, call me Jack. But I said, no, you're a god to me. I could never call you Jack. And Jack said to my father, and I told Mary Betty, Jack's daughter, I said, I told, I relayed that question, the story to her. And Jack was like, no, Harvey, call me Jack. And my dad's like, 
you're a god to me. I could never call you Jack. And Jack said, we're, we're equals. We're both performers. And Rosette mm. says, I'm not an equal to you. I'm a day player. I said, he said, no, you're not. You're a performer. And it just blew my father's mind that he was performing with Jack Benny. He got to work with, he did a sketch with Lucy and Buster Keaton once. Hmm, that's interesting. For, for a special about Laurel and Hardy. Uh -huh. and there's, there's a, it's on YouTube. And there's a scene with Lucy and Buster Keaton and my dad playing a cop, all in mine. And I showed this to him before he died on YouTube. And he said, I don't remember this. Of course, he said, I don't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday either. So, <laughs> um, me cups of coffee like most of us. So. Right. Uh, it just blows my, you know, uh, Joanna Gleason did the Burnett show. And there's a sketch with uh, Joanne Woodward playing Eunice's best friend. Now, mind you, Paul Newman is in the booth with the executive director and the producer and Carol's husband. And Paul Newman is sweating profusely. He said, I can't believe you guys shoot two shows in one night in front of a live audience. I could never do a show in my audience. And they're looking at it like, you're Paul Newman, you can do it, you can do it all. That's a fallacy, Mike. We assume everybody in this business mm, can do what else can do. You're bringing some good points. I like this. It's like, you know, you know, having like, you know, talk about Paul Newman, Jack Benny, and um right. all, all these guys and um of course, you know, Harvey Corman, you know, being associate Carol Burnett and everything, and all the people are just looking up to him. I think you're really shining some new light on the whole thing where it's like, you know, you think you're mid-tier, but it's like the higher-ups just look up to you. It's like you bring up some really good points and uh, teach us some really good lessons as well. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I don't I sound like I was droning out on about or being, look how great my father was, but um, it, it's, it's, it's funny about the pecking order about this business. It's like movies, it's like theater, movies, TV, and they all have a certain way they look upon each other as legitimate acting. A theater is, you go through the whole thing, that's legitimate acting. Movie is a editor's medium. Mm -hmm. TV is more of a director's medium, I guess. But the legitimate acting, everybody's, oh, if you do Broadway, you really made it. My dad never did Broadway because he never wanted to play the same character for eight months. Right, yeah, play. night in, night out. If you need yeah. a night off, you better make sure understudy does really well, or right. it's gonna bomb and everything. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. So he would the idea of playing eight characters. I mean, he did uh, was the, the the play that Martin Short won the play uh, won the Tony for Little Me, where he plays eight characters. And my dad did a play, um, did Little Me. In Summerstock in Chicago, eight characters in one night. And my dad said he loved it. It was the thrill of playing eight characters. Eight different broad characters, all very different. And that's, that's why he said he never liked playing one character. He tried his own sitcoms. My dad had more sitcoms than Donald Trump had lawyers. <laughs> or or bank or bankruptcies or um or bankruptcies, yeah. women and all that. So I mean we can go yeah. on and on about that. <laughs> or, or a pizza or a Tommy Lasorda's lasagna and honor <laughs> him or right. even a cup of coffee like we're about to have. So <laughs> well between actually between McLean, my father, and Tim, all three of them probably had more jobs than than Trump had lawyers combined. Um but you know, my dad 
It's like Larry Hagman. It's like John Ritter. You get pigeonholed for playing one role. And everybody, oh, John Ritter, Jack, Bruce Cutney, Larry right. Hagman, Alice, or I Dream a Genie. My dad kind of got a pigeonhole. Oh, you're Carol Burnett, you're Blazing Saddles, you're Val and Tim, or Carol. And that's what most of his life is associated with those people. And don't get me wrong, those are great associations. Mm-hmm. I think my father, it is one thing a performer has regretted, he never got to do more dramatic roles. And I think he'd wish he had. But the casting people in the business didn't see him as a dramatic role. Mm-hmm. In role, in dramatic actor. And I guess that's one of his one of very few resentments resentments that he had as a performer that he didn't get he did play Bud Abbott in a TV movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also another one too is the Flintstones. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. He was in that, yes. Uh, he, it's amazing that you uh, you didn't realize this until, um, you know, the, the the cells that they, they create. And it became such a, uh, a cottage industry. They would sign them and they had all these shows, these cartoon animation shows all over the country. And they're going for $100,000. But they said, why would you want to, why would you want a drawing of a Flintstone cartoon? Because they put them behind glass. Eventually the paper would deteriorate. Why would you want that? Mm-hmm. It became a cottage industry. Everybody wanted them. It's like baseball cards. So my dad was going around for Hanna Barbera for a couple of years, signing these cells all over the East Coast. And they're going in for 100,000 or more. And my dad said, I can't understand it. I only did 13 episodes. I like that. Yeah. And I remember that very well, too. And, um, you know, stuff like that. Somebody's knocking your door, too. And of course, another thing you're really good at is. Um, well, it's something Tiger Woods plays, and I'm sure you would love to do that. Uh, we'll find out uh, his other favorite sport with uh, Chris Corman from ONG. It's Harmony Corman's son. You listen to The Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios, and brought to you by official sponsor of The Mike Wagner Show, international warring author Mia Molson's Zia Missing. We'll be back with the multi-talented Chris Corman of OMG. It's Harvey Corman's son after this time. We're back with Chris Corman, the author of OMG. It's Harvey Corman's son here on the Mike Wagner Show. Learn a lot about your dad. Learn about the business and, um, you know, having all the people look up. And, of course, you know, another one of your passions, and it's also in the book, it's golf. And uh, tell us more about that. And I'm sure you probably I'm, – I'm sure if Tiger Woods maybe asked you to golf, I'm sure you play him as well. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm not I'm not that level. Um, because my dad and I had a golf tournament for many years, I got to – be on the golf course and drive the golf cart and be in the driver's range with with him and got to drive the golf cart and and caddy with him and i got to caddy with him and mclean stevenson who was a good friend of my father's and um but this is one of those surreal moments i'm in hawaii i just turned 18. in one day i met jerry lewis donald o'connor joe williams in one day and we're in a lounge area and I love golf I mean but it was just Jerry Lewis walks in the room he just had a triple bypass oh wow and he, he came in doing the whole lady doing the whole boy and my dad proceeds to tell Jerry oh my son does a great imitation of him now I'm doing the imitation of Jerry Lewis in front of Jerry Lewis in a room of like 50 people <laughs> and I'm now doing the spastic talk in the voice. And I'm like, oh, lady. I'm like, oh, this has got to be humiliating. So 
So every time I saw somebody on the golf course, it's like, don't ask me to do invitation at your list, please. But I love playing golf because it was just it got it's a it's a very it's a it's a very cerebral sport. It's it's the mind game. And it's knowing what clubs to use and all that. I, I wish I was I, I I'm good in the driver's range. I wasn't ever great at it, but I like the driver's range and, and the putting. And I got to putt in some of the golf tournaments that I got to be involved with. And I got to putt with my dad. And that was always fun. Um, but yeah, I I also like tennis. I also play a lot of tennis in my life. Uh, I used to play doubles a lot together mm-hmm. at home and going swimming and uh, playing basketball together. And uh, those are the memories that I have. The, the sports, sports was a very much of a bonding resource for me and my father. It was not just going to games, but again, like I said, being able to interact with Joe Morgan, second baseman of the Reds, and Jerry Boyce, and all these people. And, you know, so, like so much of my bond with my father was baseball. So I was sad. To, my, I'm sorry that my dad wasn't around to see the Dodgers win in 2020. Oh, yeah. Or the Cubs winning in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Um, and, and, and it's going to take and it's going to take another 109 years for the Cubs to win the World Series. So well, 109, that's no, my prediction. If, if, we, if we do it less than 108, it'd be considered a dynasty. Yeah, well, the, remember, the Dodgers only won once since 88. So, but, you know, I don't count the Astros cheating as a championship. Um, oh gosh, it's like does anything count with the Astros? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Oh, like, I, I don't even know why they're in the league anymore. Frankly, they should have been bounced. I I agree. Or it's just like you know, send them back to National League, maybe downgrade them to AAA, whatever it is, and um, yeah. everything everything like that. And of course, I was thinking about the Dodgers. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on um the Dodgers sending uh Shohei Otani for uh what what did he sign for like five hundred million or something seven hundred million seven hundred million that was it I was trying to think what what did he sign for he was like close to a billion I'm like what are your thoughts on that one they spent a billion dollars on like four players now here's the thing is now the target is on their back if you don't win what's your problem if you lose they're like what was your problem if you win they're like oh, you're you're expected to win if you lose then they're like what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, any team on any given night can beat anybody. You can play up to an opponent. You can play down to an opponent on any given night. The Dodgers don't have that luxury to playing down to any opponents. They can't. There are no excuses for why they lose. So either that can work to their advantage. I don't think Arizona is going to repeat in that division. San Diego's. Not, I don't think is any good. I don't think Colorado's any good. Uh, I think or, Atlanta's or, 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 San, or San Francisco. I think they made. Um... You know, someone of a run, you know, in Mass and Baumgartner, that's the only one there. So, oh, yeah, I mean, like they're, it. they're bringing back Condoval Saval. They're bringing back, I mean, Jose Soler. Okay. But who else do you have? Um, I mean, the Dodgers have a juggernaut. Okay, that's great. But that's on paper. They don't play on paper. Mm-hmm. You go out and do it. Right. And, and of course, they have to overcome Atlanta and Philadelphia as well, too. And, of course, um, 
you know, St. Louis had a down the year. They generally win the division. Of course, Milwaukee, it's like, you know, they always come up a player too short. And I was just thinking about the other day. It's like, you know, Atlanta's the first team in uh, baseball history to win 100 games, get but get uh, bounced out of the playoffs. 100, 100 wins back to back, and they get bounced out by Philly. But to be fair, I agree with you. Um, but to be fair, Atlanta's pitching wasn't great last year. I mean, they got bounced. We got bounced. Because it's who gets hot during the playoffs. Right. The season that, I mean, yeah, you want to win your division, but nowadays, winning your division is not necessarily a plus because it's who you get in the first round. If you get a bye, that's great. But here's the thing is the Dodgers got a bye last year. Atlanta got a bye. Look what happened. They went, what, a week without playing? You lose that rhythm of playing and you settle down. And you go to practice. Our practice is not the same thing as a game. Right. So th- there's a there's a rhythm that you get into playing. And I think Atlanta and the Dodgers had that week off. And I think it hurt them. Because then they had to get up that energy again. Where the player, the teams that are still playing, mm-hmm. they're getting that. They're getting the momentum. How do you expect a team that's been off for two weeks to get momentum again? And I think that's what hurt Atlanta and the Dodgers. But you know, the Dodgers pitching, Rockwell Bueller went down. That didn't help. Um, so Atlanta and the Dodgers have the same art, argument. Is these two great teams, what happened? Well, they got beat by teams that wanted it more. Or, or whoever had the rhythm and um, and, and whatever else. You know, Milwaukee, they were about uh, a player or two away, but they couldn't because of the money situation. And then I'm yeah, looking well, at you know the the Mets uh, you know spent like you know a gazillion players and uh, literally tanked and then they got um, let's see well, look at the Padres right yeah and um, the owner um, no those people the, Peter Peter Sadler who was the owner of the Padres who passed away most people don't know this he's he's the son-in-law. Peter O'Malley, the owner of the Dodgers. How do you like that? Can you imagine those kind of a Christmases? Oh, your team. <laughs> how great my yeah, team is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas since your team yeah. sucks, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't want that kind of Christmas. Uh, so um, I'm sorry the owner of the Padres died, but they gave, Sadler gave all their players no trade cost contract. So now they got a payroll in the 300 million and he can't he can't trade anybody because they have no trade clauses so you yeah. got tatis you got booker you got all these guys you can't trade now you see a lot of teams are going i'll give you a one-year i'll give you a two-year contract so you're not beholden to them mm-hmm. dodgers can do what they're doing is because they are so minorly rich they can afford to give away two or three guys and get three or four guys back so they can replenish their minor leagues again and again and again. And the Orioles are doing the same thing. They just keep on replenishing. And most most company, most teams can't don't have that luxury. But for all that stuff, the Dodgers have one championship in 32 years. Yeah, and and I think it was 88. And uh, now I'm trying to remember. Um, I I think that well, what what was that? Not San Francisco. Gibson, Mike Kirk Gibson hits the homer against Eckersley. That was it. Yes, the the Gibson one. Yes, I remember. I remember that one. Kirk and Gibson. If, if you go back and you look at the game, as if you read the book, there's a great book out about it. I I have to figure out who the authors. 
Dee Anderson, the shortstop, is on the on-deck circle. LaRusso sees this, thinking, oh, we can, we can get Dave Anderson, he's a nobody. He had Anderson on there because they didn't want, they didn't want Oakland or anybody to realize that Gibson was up the locker room getting dressed. Uh-huh. So they, gave the, they gave Oakland the impression that Anderson was going to pinch hit. He pulls, Lacerda pulls Dave Anderson on and puts Mike Davis, who had played with Oakland the year before, and Mike batted 188 which was basically what my waistline was when I was 18. When he, <laughs> um, and they said, well, Mike's, Mike's not, Mike's not going to do anything. What does Eckersley do? He pitches around a 188 hitter. Why would you do that? Punch him out. The game's over. So he walks Mike Davis. Now Gibson, who can't even walk, and the one pitch that they told not to give Gibson he gives him a backdoor slider. And I was in college when that, that happened. And I was, in the, I was in this rumpus room. They just had a party the night before, so they had a keg of beer sitting there, and I was knocking down beers. Oh, and my gosh. Gibson hit a home run, and I get on the phone with my dad. I call him collecting in the lobby of this gym, and I'm screaming loudly, Dad, can you believe this? I mean, I said, Dad, wait a minute. It's like, it's like, are you calling me collect? I said, I, <laughs> I said, where are you? It's like, I'm in the middle of, I'm in the middle of this um, multi-purpose room, and I'm screaming up and down. There's a guy cleaning the gym, and he hears me screaming because I'm, like, excited about the Dodgers winning the World Series game. Uh-huh. And my, I, he said, Chris, your, your speech is a little sport. I said, well, I'm drinking beer. <laughs> I said, I, I didn't send you to college to drink beer. I said, Dad, it's a, it, it's a Saturday night. And everybody's out skiing. What else do I have to do? Right. And it was probably one of the best World Series ever. And I, but, but the Dodgers had no business beating the A's. Mm-hmm. Or Hershiser has a Kofax-esque career that one year. It was 23 and 8. Tim Belcher, Don Sutton. I mean, it was a makeshift pitching staff. They had no business beating the Mets. I remember Don Sutton, yes. I mean, Mike Socia hits a homer in game, what, four off of Dwight Gooden in the ninth inning? Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't happen, which only goes for what you were saying before, is on any given night, any team can beat any team. And you don't know. The Mets should have killed the Dodgers in that 88 playoffs. The Dodgers had no business beating the Mets, let alone the A's. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the Mets were stacked back then, too. You had White Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, yeah. Keith Hernandez. And I think you had, uh, oh, good Lord, I, I mentioned those. You had, uh, what was it? I think you had, was it uh, Darren, was it Darren Dalton? I'm trying to think of the catcher. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Jerry Carter. Yeah, Gary Carter, that's it. It's like I'm going to have to uh, you know, start cleaning up the cobwebs and talking baseball again. <laughs> oh, Darren Dalton, that, that, yeah, Phillies. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I was 21 when they won the World They won 88. I was 21 years old, and it took them 30-some years to win another one. So if they do win and they start a dynasty with this team, I'll be very happy. But it's one of those things where – there's a lot of pressure on Atlanta to win. 
They've only won one in the last. The last time they won was 95. They, they only won one. They had what? Mm -hmm. The Braves won on the 14th. They won 14 divisions in a row. One yeah, World they have, and I think they just had like just what one World Series to uh, account for. They're like similar, like the uh, Buffalo exactly. Bills, Minnesota Vikings, the Broncos, that yeah. make so many appearances and come away with a a title that's or even none of them. One in uh, was it '95 against Cleveland? I think that was their only championship. Mm -hmm. They had Max, you had Glavin. They should have won more, but they didn't have a they didn't have a bullpen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think that year too they had that baseball strike, and Cleveland was destined yeah. to uh, win the World Series. They're getting ready, and all of a sudden they just lost their chance, and um, they struggled until 2016. And uh, they're with it maybe like one inning away. If it wasn't for that um, rainstorm they had, it's like they could have won that too. Now they have to do it under the Guardians. So so we have all that, and um, you know we'll talk more baseball as well too. We get into it, and uh, part of the book. In the meantime, where can we find um, your book, OMG Harvey Corman's Son, and all your works at uh, Chris? You can find me on Amazon.com. You can find me at uh, www.bearmanor, B-E-A-R-M-A-N-O-U-R, manor.com. You can find me on eBay. You can find me on Walmart.com. I mean, you can, the publisher's got me everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I have a page called, uh, Doctor My Ear. My dad played the character named Doctor My Ear in a movie, so I mean <laughs> Doctor My Ear. Uh -huh. It's a it's a tribute page to him and my love for all things pop culture. So I I, I, I post videos of my favorite singers, Steve Lawrence, Judy Gourmet, uh, my favorite movies, and people that just never got to meet my dad who want to engage me on Facebook and share stories and my love for the Burnett Show and my love for performers, and they can engage me on Facebook that way. Um, and on LinkedIn, but mostly Facebook. And uh, like I said, you know, uh, I, got my, I got my Facebook page, but I also have the Dr. My Ear page. And I, I welcome any of your listeners to, to, to connect with me on Facebook. Just, hey, look, hey, I, I heard your show from Mike Wagner's show. I'm a friend of Mike's. I'm one of your listeners. And his listeners with that, and I'm going to say, fine, I'll, I'll hook them up and I'll, I'll, I'll send them an invite to my group because it, it's a very friendly group. Um, Monica Noon Dempsey and my uh, two administrators, Alley Cat, they maintain the pack, they maintain the page for me because I can't be on there every day. I mm -hmm. try to be. But we just maintain it, and, it, it, it's a, and I try to change the picture every couple of days. so. I give it a different look every day, but it's always having to do with my father or the great right, uh -huh. um, Heavy Lamar from Blazing Saddles. And, and it's just an opportunity for people to engage me and share stories that never, they never got to share because my dad passed away in 2008. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a connection thing for me. Okay. All right. We'll certainly check that out. Once again, we're with the uh, multi-talented uh, Chris Corman of OMG. It's uh, Harvey Corman's son here on the Mike Wagner Show. Just a few more things. And uh, what else can we expect from you in 2024 and beyond, Chris? Well, I'm putting together, hopefully I'll be putting together a one-man show based on the book, like a, uh, a Q&A, so people can, who read the book or engage me and I have an opportunity to share stories about him or th that I didn't get to share in, in the book. And um, I'm working on two. I'm working on another book 
uh, with my partner, Jonathan Martin. We're, we're writing a book about the great straight men of comedy, like mm -hmm. Dean Martin, Bud Abbott, my father, and really celebrate the great straight men of comedy. And I hope that'll be out by next year. Okay. And then, right. I, and then where I can, I can do um, free press, or, or not free press, or press for people, for artists that, you know, don't want to break the bank and go broke. I try to service that, their needs press-wise. I'm busy. I'm married. I have a son. He's in college, and my wife is an accountant and an artist herself. So we're busy doing twenty thousand different things every day. Mm, yes, indeed. We'll certainly do that as well. And who do you consider biggest influence uh, in your career besides your dad? Who else? Oh, God, I say Dean Martin, John Ritter, um, Mel Brooks, of course, uh, Nathan Lane. David Hyde Pierce, those are my favorite performers. Okay. Um, and I would love to, I, I hope the Dodgers do come to Oakland. If Oakland ever comes here, uh, there's some kind of legal issue with the Oakland A's here. They don't know if they're going to actually come now. But if the Dodgers ever come to Oakland, I would see, I would love to see Freddie Freeman, and Mookie Betts, and this incredible juggernaut. But um, I hope the Cubs do sign Bellinger. Oh, that would be so nice. And, um, you know, maybe we can uh, play you guys in the uh, NLCS division playoffs. You hook me up and we can watch on Zoom or something. Maybe a few Dodger dogs or Wrigley dogs or whatever it is oh. and um, everything like that. And uh, maybe they'll be playing at Legion Stadium and say, um, uh, sorry, Raiders, uh, we'll have to occupy a while, something like that. So, <laughs> Well, the Raiders are not pretty much used to that stadium, I can tell you that. Oh, um, they're not the greatest team in the world, but you know, you know, if you do come out, you do come out to Oakland. I mean, come out to Oakland. When you come out here to Vegas, we can get together and go to a ball game, and um, you know, see Clinton in April. Your friends, our mutual friends, and um, I've not been to a baseball game in so long. I forgot what it was like, mm -hmm. and I got to go to three World Series games in '81. They want to beat the Yankees three in a row. I remember. I yeah, the beloved years. Yankees. That was fun. Watching the Dodgers beat the Yankees in any in any for any reason is fun. Oh but, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh yeah. I, I hope they win. If the Dodgers don't win, I root for the Cubs. And my dad was the same way. If the Dodgers didn't win, he would root for the Cubs. I, I, I think that is great advice. And speaking of advice, what is the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? Um, just in general. Well, well, in general, well, the life freedom my father instilled in me. Um, the only time in life you ever fail is when you don't try. Just keep on going. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know what's possible until you try. And I wouldn't have the blessings that I have in my life. If I, if I give up on myself, I wouldn't have the life that I have the last 22 years in August. I wouldn't have the son that I had if I, not give, if I give up on myself. So that's that's my reward for not giving up on myself is having the family that I have. Mm -hmm. so. And, and certainly as well too. Once again, we're with the uh, multi-talented Chris Corman of the book. OMG. It's Harvey Corman's son here on the Mike Wagner show. Chris, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Learned a lot thank from you, you and, and made me feel like uh, I was getting to talk to your dad, Harvey as well too. And <laughs> looking forward to having again soon. Keep us up to date. Thank Keep you in much. touch thank you, and, Mike. and talking baseball. And one more thing. What is your website? 
How do people contact you? Where can people purchase or check out your book? You can go to uh, www.amazon.com or you can go to www.bearmanor, B-E-A-R-M-A-N-O-U-R.com. And you can find me on Facebook, uh, Christopher Corman, or Dr. My Ear. You put in my name, you'll see pictures of me and my dad right away. You can't miss this space or my dad's face for anything, even if you tried. Um, and you can try me on LinkedIn as well. Okay, we'll certainly check those out. Once again, Chris, a very big thank you for your time. Be thank you, Absolutely Mike. fantastic. L looking forward to having soon. Just keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Live back. Wish you all best. And Chris, you definitely have a great future ahead of you. You too, Mike. All right, thanks a lot.